we do begin a new sermon series this morning. This is going to be our I Am sermon series, which is going to be the seven I Am statements of Christ. It's really interesting because if we really think about it, if we really look at the Bible from start to finish, it is not humans pursuing God. It is God pursuing us and God revealing himself to us. Whether it is early on at the very beginning of Scripture, whether we look at Genesis or we're looking at uh, God revealing himself to Abraham, or we look at the burning bush where the burning bush appears to Moses. Moses just stumbles upon and God has literally brought Moses to this mountain place, to the sacred place, and he says, Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And Moses says, who, who is this? He says, I am that I am. And similarly, Christ as he is teaching the disciples, as he's encountering the crowds, as we go through the Gospel of John seven times, he uses this same statement, I am, to show his divinity. It's, it's what theologians call divine self-disclosure, where, where God, the divine, literally reveals or discloses who he is. I kind of think of it like this. I imagine that I'm a, that I'm a secret agent, and I'm all dressed up, and I have a secret identity, and I say, look, I'm, I, I'm disclosing, I'm revealing to you who I am. But God isn't hidden to us. He just wants us to know who he is. He wants to be revealed to us. And so all throughout Scripture and all throughout our lives, we know that Christ pursues us. We know that Christ reveals himself to us. And so whether we look in this text at Jesus saying, I am, whether today it's the bread of life or, or other ways, we know that Christ reveals himself to us throughout our lives, throughout Scripture. And so I want to give a little background before we're going to read the full text today. In today's text, in John 6, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. Now, it's not really 5,000 people. It was 5,000 men. So likely, we're probably talking about nine to 13,000 people. So he's just done this amazing Amazing thing, there was this little boy, generous. He says, here, Jesus, take this, bless it. Jesus blesses it. Suddenly, everyone can eat. It's amazing. Then, Jesus walks on water. Now, it's the next day, and the crowds are looking for one more big thing. They're looking for an encore. They're saying, okay, Jesus, your, your debut album was great. Your sophomore release, it's going to be amazing, awesome. We're so looking forward to it. But the problem is, is that Christ wasn't there for miracles. He performed miracles, but miracles for, were for the sake of revealing himself to us, not, not for the sake of just a show, not for the sake of just, wow, I'm going to put on this, this great act and you're going to be wowed. So as we read through the text, I invite you to open up to John chapter 6, and we're going to be in John's gospel looking today from verses 22 to 35. And let's open together. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they'd eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor the disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus." When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. They said to him, What must we do to be doing the good works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it was written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity in this time where we're doing church a little bit differently, but we know that you are no different. You have not changed, and you are here with us. We're just so grateful for the opportunity to come together. We know that where two or more are gathered in in your name, you are there, and whether we're on our porch, whether we're here in the sanctuary, whether we're in our cars listening to this, no matter where we are, we know that you are here with us. Thank you for being with us, for supporting us during this time, and we just ask that you would give us ears to hear and allow us to really be open to this idea of what it means to see that you are enough, that a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with you is all that we need to get through the day. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So, I think that this text really asks a couple questions. So it's a really powerful text. We're going to do a thing, and I'm going to talk a little bit more at the end of the message about this. But about a year and a half ago, we did a James challenge that people just loved. We did it on Facebook. It was kind of spontaneous. We didn't really let people know it that well. So we're really going to let you know this time. We're doing a John 6 challenge this week on Facebook. Um, I believe the link and if I get it wrong, we'll type it incorrectly. But it's, I believe, facebook.com slash groups slash John 6 challenge. Should get you right there. I double-checked that before the service, so you should be good. And um, ask for permission to join. I'll let you in. And for the next week, what we're going to do is we're going to get a group of us, and we'd love if it's two people or 200 people, doesn't matter. We're going to read each day through John chapter 6, and we're going to see what this text reveals to us that day. There is so much... We only read a little part of this. It keeps going, and there's way more in advance. And so what we're going to do is, today we're going to focus on three questions that I see asked in this specific text. But this week, I'm so excited to join with you, and we're going to ask some questions. We're going to come up with observations, put together some things, discuss with each other, and really interact about that text. So get excited for that. But in this text, there's three questions. What do I seek? What do I believe? And what sustains me? And I'll tell you that these questions are great because they don't just get us through pandemic. They don't just get us through weird times. They also don't just get us through bad times or good times. We see, and if we get one point from today, here's the point of today. Jesus is enough. Not just enough to get through a pandemic. Not just enough to get me through a wedding. Not just enough to get me through a funeral or a birth or transition, or a new job, or parenting. Jesus is enough. Like, enough, enough. 
period. If you're going to get one point out of today's message, that is what this text is showing us. I am the bread of life literally just means Jesus is enough. He's what we need. And so with these questions, what do I seek? What do I believe? What sustains me? I really want us to look at them, think about them, but don't just do that as you listen to this message. Write these down. Grab a napkin and write down these questions. What do I seek? What do I believe? What sustains me? Put in your pocket. Maybe do it today. Maybe do it tomorrow. Maybe you'll find it a year from now, and a year from now you will find that those questions and the idea of Christ being enough sustaining us, it still matters. Maybe you'll find it your grandchildren will find it because you've sewn it accidentally into your genes, and there it is, and they find it. The questions will still be valid, and the idea is still valid. Because today, tomorrow, yesterday, Christ does not change. We know that he is enough, period. So let's look at this first question. What do I seek? In verse 26, we'll review. Jesus said this. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The crowd was seeking for the wrong reasons. We have to think about why we seek. Why do, why do we go after things? Why do we look? Why do we search? What does that even mean? So we want to seek for the right reasons. Christianity is different because we don't believe in a secret Jesus. We don't believe in some hidden Christ that if I search and search and I look all around, we, we sang a new song today, Graves into Gardens. It said, I searched the world and it didn't fill me. But you don't need to search for Jesus. In the world, you don't find Jesus. You find Jesus by saying, Christ, you've been with me the whole time. Hi, okay, I'm ready to stop searching. So we don't need to seek everything else. It's not all about that. It's not about looking for some secret Jesus and, oh, hey, maybe when I'm 92 years old, I'm going to find secret Jesus and isn't that cool. That's not the gospel message. That's not what it means to have a relationship with Christ. No secret Jesus. We want to seek for the right reasons, but we want to seek for a relationship. And we're going to talk a little bit about perks today. You know, sometimes we like relationships with certain people because it gives us perks. I always think of the fact that, um, you know, if we have a friend who we grow up with and they become famous, now we can, maybe they're a famous musician, we're like, Oh, I can get into your concert for free. That's a perk. Uh, maybe you have a friend who uh, did something really cool and they made this really great recipe or invention and now they share it with you and everyone else has to pay, but you get the perk of being able to do that. Maybe your friend has a really great restaurant or your family member has a really great restaurant. Your perk is you get to go eat there for free. The problem is, is that like those are fine. But when we just approach relationships looking for perks, people start feeling like human ATMs. Because people want relationship. We don't want to feel like, oh great, uh, Billy's coming up to me and he's only talking to me because he's looking for a handout. Awesome. Jesus is kind of feeling like that in the text today. He's saying, guys, you're not here because of the sign. You're not here because you're looking for a relationship. You're not here for meaning or for belief or anything like that. You're here for a handout. Like, you just want, you want the next episode. You want the next big thing. And that can be really tricky. We can seek for the wrong reasons. Sometimes we seek just because we want perks. I think about a time that I did this when I was uh, getting ready to go off to college. And I decided I was going to be a music major. 
not because I loved music, not because I loved the organ or loved piano or loved singing. I did all those things, and I was fine at them. But you know what I was seeking? I wanted that full ride to college. I was like, you know, college will be great. I don't care what I study, but if it's free, that's going to be good enough for me. Well, I will tell you that seven years later and much debt, um, that ultimately that doesn't work because when we just seek the perks and we don't have a love, it really ends up being empty and fulfilling. Seek comes from the Greek word zeteo, and it really is talking about seeking but also a desire. So what do we have a desire for? Am I desiring that free ride? That's going to let me down. Or do I have a love of music? And then a love of music is going to, if I'm a music major, that's going to be fine. It's the same way with our relationship of God. If we're approaching church just because we want all the perks, oh, I, I, I like the fact that people don't really swear, and I like the fact that we have good values, and there's wisdom, and, you know, we're thoughtful and kind. Okay, those are all wonderful perks. Those are great, phenomenal, and church needs to have those things. That's fantastic. But if we're just in it for that, we start to lose the essence of Jesus. We, are, we start to, if, if that's all we're about, that's all we're going to get. That's great, but those things are going to let us down because our pastor is human, and he'll get frustrated. We hear him swear, and now that whole, that, that whole house of cards is all, all, all done. Oh, our, our wonderful Christian parent? Well, they do something unwise, and now the whole house of cards topples down because if we make these things with church and Christianity about the perks, we'll always be disappointed every single time. So the question is, in life, are we desiring deeper relationships or are we just kind of treating Christ like a, like, like a, human, like a, like a divine ATM? Are we just looking at Jesus and saying, you know, yeah, I believe in you. Yeah, okay. Um, I really like all the other stuff, so I'm not really going to focus on my relationship with you. I'm just going to try to be a good person, and that's going to be fine. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's one of the great heroes of the 20th century faith, he was a German theologian, pastor, um, has an opportunity during World War II to come over here from Germany and have this cushy job in New York, turns it down, continues leading the uh, confessing church in Germany, ultimately... Um, even though he's a pacifist, is involved in a plot to um, overthrow Hitler and eventually ends up in a concentration camp and dies. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Christianity without discipleship is always a Christianity without Christ. That means we need the relationship with Jesus. It's about being a disciple. We can seek for the wrong reasons. We can, we can think that it's all about being a student and, and I think of a time when I was at, uh, in high school, and I had this great teacher named Mr. Cooter. Um, he was awesome. And what I found with him is it wasn't so much about the lessons during school, but after school, he had this really cool chorus room and had like these kind of steps that was in. It was a really weird, funky thing. I'll send you a picture. Um, but what was cool is that we could just kind of hang out with him. And he would just, after school, he'd let us hang out there. Sometimes he'd be in his office. Sometimes he'd be in there with us. He'd play classic rock music, and we got to know him. It was more than being a student because I learned to love a type of music because of the fact that I was his buddy. And that's more of what it means to be a disciple. Being a disciple isn't about being a student. 
In the ancient world, disciples were people who walked with their rabbi. And literally, the idea of a disciple was someone who walked behind the rabbi and the dust of the rabbi's sandals got on the disciple's robe. So you would literally smell like your rabbi. And so I want us to think, are we living lives where we smell like Jesus? Are we living lives where people can be like, okay, yep, you're, you follow Christ? Or are we living lives where we ourselves can feel that honestly, yes, I'm pursuing Christ in what I do. I want a relationship with him. I'm living. I'm going forward. Because the crowd made the mistake of coming to Jesus looking for another feeding. It was a perk. That was the perk of his ministry. But the whole point of his ministry was a relationship. If we do church for the perks of Christianity, but not the Christ of Christianity, we go spiritually hungry. And so are we willing to smell like Christ? Are we willing to say, you know what, my actions, and we're going to talk about this with belief in a moment. Are we willing to say my actions are going to show that I pursue a relationship with him I'm following? Or are we simply just about the perks? The perks are great, but they're going to let us down. That, that wonderful pastor is human. That wonderful role model is human. That wonderful building, we're not able to worship in it right now. The perks let us down, but the Christ does not. And that is what we need to remember with what do I seek? Here's the next question. What do I believe? Let's look in verses 28 to 29. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the, the works of God? Jesus answered them, True, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And so I want us to think for a moment. If we stopped and did an honest self-evaluation, we would probably agree that our beliefs kind of get wonky. They just get to the point where we're like, yeah, I mean, we believe, but then we live lives certain ways, and it just becomes different, and we start to just kind of drift and move away. And I, I think of it kind of like this. If we think about the fact that where we invest our time, that shows what we believe. Where we invest our emotions, that shows what we believe. Where we invest our money and our resources, that shows what we believe. Sure, there can be head knowledge, and head knowledge is great, but the problem is that faith isn't an essay question. It's not like at the end of life, what's going to happen is I'm going to die, then I'm going to wake up in an exam room, God, uh, St. Peter at the gates is, because we'll go with the joke, St. Peter at the gates is going to walk over, hand me a piece of paper, and it says, um, what is faith, what do you believe, da-da-da-da-da, and now I have to write a long essay question, and da-da-da-da-da, etc. That's not what faith is. Faith isn't some essay question that we have to have all the right words, and maybe we'll get a B plus. Faith if we think of the book of James, it's all about showing our faith by our works. If we want a relationship with Christ, if we say, yes, I have a relationship with Christ, let's have a relationship with Christ. If I, if I say that I love my wife and that I have a relationship with her, but I never see her and I'm never around her and I don't really like the idea of her, that's not a relationship with my wife. I, I'm a new dad. I'm excited to be a new dad. If I say I have a relationship with Ruby but I'm unwilling to spend time with Ruby, invest myself in her. Do I really have a relationship with Ruby? I don't think so. So faith isn't an essay question. It's about how we live. It's about how we act. Now, yes, we have to remember the, the lesson of the thief on the cross. That does not mean that we earn our salvation. No, 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 no. 
Not at all. Remember the lesson of the thief on the cross. Jesus is on the cross there, and there's two guys next to him, murderous thieves we don't know. And one of them is mocking him and being obnoxious and great. Okay, awesome. Congratulations. But the other one turns and says, hey, you need to knock that off because we're, we're wretched. We've done awful stuff, but this guy is totally innocent. And he turns to Jesus and says, uh, Lord, remember me when you get into your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly, I tell to you today, tell you, I, today you will be with me in paradise. So the point is, it's not about that we then have to do all this stuff. It is about belief. And we have to be careful. It is about belief, period, period, period. We show our faith by how we live. We show our faith by having that relationship with Christ, by allowing him to actually be enough in our lives. Because we go through times where, where we, the public appearance of our relationship with God totally is different than its private reality. And, and this isn't a calling out. I've had this too. We all have had this. We have these times where we act and look one way, but in reality, not so much. And that happens in all of our relationships. That can happen with our friendships, with our coworkers, with our parenting, with our parents, with our spouses, whoever. But there are times where the outward appearance of a relationship and the inward reality are different. And that's something to be aware of. And just like we talked about being a disciple isn't being a student, it's not being a fan either. I asked my wife, so I had, I had written down who it was. Um, but, I, but I asked my wife this past week, I said, Laura, who am I a giant fan of? And she said to me, well, that's, that's easy, Kevin Garnett, which is totally true. I literally, I'm that guy who, my computer that I use for everything, the background is, is KG, love him. He's the best, he's the great, love him. The whole headbanging thing, pumps me up. Sometimes when I'm having a bad day, I'll just watch the headbanging thing that he does um, in his, and his yell. Oh, it's great. But the problem is this. I'm a fan of Kevin Garnett, but my fandom, my, my liking him, has not really done anything tangible to affect my life. Not really. I mean, I have a Kevin Garnett background on my computer, and I have a Kevin Garnett jersey that I don't really wear in my house. And I say, oh, I like Kevin Garnett. So being a fan of something is different than having a relationship. But I have a relationship with my parents. That's changed me. I have a relationship with my wife. I, I have a relationship, even if I don't know people super, super well, it's not like I spend every waking minute with the people of the worship team, but I have a relationship with Billy and Julianne and others, and that has affected and changed me more than my relationship that I don't have with being a fan of Kevin Garnett. I also think of it this way. When I was younger, I really loved Star Wars so much that I had all the books, all the visual encyclopedias. I got kind of neurotic about it. And my dad used to do this silly game where he'd grab the encyclopedias, and because rather than hanging out with friends, I'd sit in my room um, with my flashlight and read Star Wars visual dictionaries and things like that. I'm not joking. Uh, it was weird. But regardless, he got to the point where he couldn't stump me. He could read random things out of these things. I've wanted to go back and do it. Here's the thing. I didn't know George Lucas. I never relationship with George Lucas. All the head knowledge and all the knowledge about fake planets and Dagobah and Tatooine, and I can do many, many more, and I'm not going to flex right now. I could do it. But 
All of that doesn't mean that I have a relationship with George Lucas. And we do that with, we do that with God and we do that with Christ. And so I invite you to reflect, just like we're going to take that napkin and write down those questions. I want you to reflect. Do I know about Jesus or do I know Jesus in my life? Because we have a God-sized hole and we try to fill it with other things. Relationship with Christ brings lasting change. Remember in the text, it says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And so that brings us to our third question, what sustains me? In verse 35, it says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. I love doing props, so thank you, Anita, for baking this wonderful bread. We're going to do something. I want to talk about bread a little bit. So bread of life, and you're saying, wow, we're 23 minutes into the message, and he's finally talking about bread. But don't worry, we got a prop, so it's all good. It smells good. That's, that's, that's nice. That's awesome. So let's talk about bread for a moment. In the Old Testament, and, and we heard this in our scripture today, in the Old Testament, bread, specifically when we think of the Israelites were wandering for 40 years in the desert, and they had manna from heaven, Manna from heaven literally came every day. They complained and grumbled about it, but they had it every day provided to them, and they were supposed to only take enough to get them through the day. If you took any for the next day, it would go bad. The only time that it was okay to take for the next day was before the Sabbath, and you would take enough for two days. And so that was the Old Testament idea of bread. Bread sustained them. In the ancient world, and then going forward to the time of Jesus, Bread was very much a thing of sustenance, of sustaining, of getting us through the day. They didn't have all the options and all the have-it-your-way of society. It was basically, hey, hopefully I'll work hard enough that I'll have the ability to buy some grain, I can make some bread, and I won't go hungry today. So that's bread. We think of it um, in the Lord's Prayer. You've got daily bread. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, and he understood that in his context— Bread was all about sustaining us. Now, we have to be honest. In our culture, we get a little weird on bread. But it's okay. I'm just going to be super honest about it. There's a lot of baggage with bread. Um, because we have a lot more options, and we have a very different relationship with bread. My, this would never appear in my house because my wife is gluten-free, first of all. And this would be like, no, absolute contraband in my house. You would never see a beautiful bread uh, loaf like this that was not gluten-free with xanthan gum in my house or, or spelt or whatever, which isn't technically gluten-free. But we have to remember, we have baggage, whether it's gluten-free or whether this is just carbs. And to me, I look at this and I'm like, I can make a sandwich with a little bit of that and be cool. But we understand that some people with bread, with carbs, it can be a very slippery slope. And so we get that. But Jesus wasn't talking about that idea. So we have to take our 2020 lens away when we're doing I am the bread of life. Don't think of this as carbs or, or gluten. You got to just think of when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's not saying I'm the carbs of life. I am, I'm the gluten of life. He's saying I'm the bread. I'm what sustains you. So I want to clarify. And we have to ask this question in our lives, what sustains us? Sustaining makes me think of a friend of mine who was silly, 
um, in college, and he grew up on a farm. And he told me a story of the summer he came before he came to college. He decided it'd be a good idea to take his dad's tractor out um, for a little bit of joyriding, donuts in the field, whatever. I, what never made sense to me in this story is the fact that he thought he could get away with it when he was doing donuts in his dad's field with a tractor. But, you know, I'm not going to try to understand farm culture. It is what it is. But here's the point. He was doing his thing, then he was getting ready to return it. It ran out of gas. And he was like, oh, this is really bad. Because now the tractor is like sitting a ways away from the barn, and he's got this problem. And there was a can of gasoline. So he was like, oh, this makes sense. He said, no problem. I'll just dump the can of gasoline in there, drive the, drive the tractor over to the barn. We're all good. It's fine. The problem is, and I, I, I know very little about mechanics at all, so you can probably correct me in the comments, but... My understanding is that when you put gasoline in a diesel engine, it can't sustain a diesel engine, let's just say that. Very bad things can happen. And so my friend learned this lesson that when we try to put the wrong fuel in a tractor, it can't sustain it. We have a problem. In our lives, we put the wrong fuel in. We expect to be sustained by certain things. I made this mistake yesterday. So this isn't just about you and your issues or anything like that. We all get locked in these times where we think that we can be sustained by the wrong things. It's okay. It happens. It's part of being human. I thought that I could put a post that was pretty positive and asked a, what I thought was a simple, harmless question on a worship leader page on Facebook, and I thought that it would be fine. And then I was all sad and hurt and depressed and upset when I got all these really ridiculous, sarcastic comments, and it, it just, it was... It was a lot, because the problem is, I looked at it, and I was trying to get sustained by the positive feedback of worship pastors and worship leaders, and not understanding that I just need to mind my own business, do my life, pray, have a good relationship, take care of my family. But we can get sustained by all the wrong things all the time. We can try to get sustained by alcohol, and we see what happens with that where we just say, my life is so stressful, the only way I can make it through is by, and I'm, I'm not shaming at all, I'm just saying, maybe you will do a personal evaluation, you'll say, wow, yes, I'm trying to get sustained by that, maybe I need to back off, maybe I need to consider recovery, etc. Maybe we get to the point where we're sustained by approval. I, at the very beginning of my pastoral ministry, attended a training, which at the time, I kind of didn't love, and looking back, I really loved it, because it was all about this idea of that if we have this approval addiction, it's like this empty wound that we can never fill. Do we, do we respect and, and fear God, or do we respect and fear man? And if we always are pursuing after that man approval, we're going to be let down every time. But with sustaining, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's saying that comes first. That's what sustains us. We make the mistake of, I'm a new dad, if I think that my relationship with my daughter is going to sustain me, it's not. I can absolutely love my daughter, but I need to first let my relationship with Christ sustain me and then give me the strength I need to be a dad. If I think that my relationship with my wife, same deal. First, I need to have the relationship with Christ to be sustained to be able to have a good relationship with my wife. Otherwise, it's house of cards all over. It falls. It doesn't work. Because when we seek after the wrong things, when we try to be sustained by them, 
they let us down every time. And so the question is, what do I let sustain me? The truth of who I am in Christ or everything that else that will let me down? We have to remember in Ephesians chapter 1, it very clearly says who we are in Christ, and we know that he is seeking us. He wants that relationship with us. He's right there with us. But am I willing to say, okay, I'm not going to be trying to sustain by everything else. I'm willing to let my relationship with Christ be the fuel. Then it'll let me do the other things. But can I start and say, yes, I'm willing to say, you're going to be my fuel. I'm going to stop putting gas into a diesel engine. And so as we bring the forward, I, the band forward, I'd really like us to think about these questions. Who and what do I seek in my life, with my actions, with my priorities? Who and what do I seek? What do I believe? How am I living? How am I showing my relationship with Christ and showing that he is enough by how I'm living and what I actually believe? And then, what sustains me? Am I fueling my life with everything else? Am I, am I trying to, to be that that nice pastor getting on, on the Facebook group and, and just saying, you know what, I'm going to do a good thing. This is going to get me through the day. I'm going to be encouraged by this Facebook group because it's going to get me through, and then I'm going to polish off my sermon, have a great day. Or am I saying, you know what, people are going to let me down. I need to understand that my relationship with Christ is enough. And so again, that's the point. Christ is enough. Relationship with him sustains us through good, through bad, through pandemic, through any of the seasons. And so this week, I, I do invite you, we will do that Facebook group. Uh, it's, it's funny because you're saying, oh, you, you bashed a Facebook group. Well, we're not going to be looking for each other's approval in this Facebook group. It's just an opportunity in a remote time to be collaborating and sharing with each other about how God is speaking to us each day through John chapter 6. And so let's pray together. You know, Father, we thank you for the fact that, that Jesus is enough. I ask that you allow each of us to live lives where we can acknowledge that we don't need more approval. We don't need, we don't need more substances. We don't need more earthly food. We don't need more of any of these things that we fill in the blank and try to, try to have them sustain us, try to have them be enough. But we know that you are enough. And I just ask that in my heart, in my family, in our community, in our hearts, in our families, that you work through us and you remind us today and each day that you are the bread of life and you are more than enough. Amen.